We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Oregon fans? How we doing? Welcome into the post-game show. We are live on YouTube at Oregon Football. Max Torres is where you can find us. We have a lot to talk about today, but before we get into the post-game show, just a reminder to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and make sure that you hit the notification bell so you don't miss out on future live shows here on the channel. Just in case you guys are new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Fan Nation over on the Sports Illustrated Network. Man, we have a whole bunch to talk about today. Uh, seeing that the Ducks just got a big, big win over the number nine UCLA Bruins, 45-30, to 30, handing UCLA their first loss of the season and another loss uh, for Chip Kelly coming against his former team. He has yet to beat the Ducks since taking over as the head coach in Westwood. Uh, we got a lot of folks here in the live chat, so I wanted to say thank you to you guys for tuning in here live. We got a lot of people uh, you know, tuning in with with chiming in with their reactions. We can get a couple of them up here. Mark's hype saying, let's go. Uh, we got Garbiel Spaghetti saying, let's go Ducks. Brooks is back. Hashtag Taurus's troops. What's going on? Um, man, we have a lot of people here. Gerard's here. So we got a lot of regulars, but uh, let me know how you're feeling about this win. Feel free to throw a comment or maybe even a question here in the live chat because we have plenty to get to. And um, also just wanted to throw it out there. If you want your question answered, maybe consider donating to the channel with a super chat. Uh, those are always uh, greatly appreciated. But with all that being said, let's start dialing back some of the layers here uh, as we kind of just start to dive into this win for Oregon in our post-game show. Man, what a game for Oregon. It, it was a phenomenal atmosphere uh, out there in, in Eugene from what we were able to see that there was some rain, but at the same time, was there really? Because we know it never rains in Autzen Stadium. Uh, but this was a, this was an interesting game. It was an absolute battle, more so in the first half, uh, seeing that it was a, a little slow. Both teams were a little slow to get things started. It was, after all, it was tied 3-3 at the end of the first quarter. Um, you know, some penalties kind of popped up here and there for Oregon early on, which was kind of interesting, especially... Uh, considering that they were coming off of their bye week. They were at home uh, where they're usually most comfortable. Um, but there were a lot of standout performances that we can get into this game. But overall, this is just a big win for Oregon uh, because uh, not only is it their second win over a ranked team this year, uh, it's a, a win against uh, you know the, the best team, what looked like the best team in the Pac-12. Um, and because of that, it looks like Oregon has now taken sole possession of first place in the Pac-12, seeing that they own the most significant win within the conference now, right? UCLA had beaten Utah, uh, but then uh, Utah beat USC to give them their first loss. So Utah, US, UCLA and Oregon really looked like they were the two best teams in the conference now. And uh, man, what, what a game. Just these impacts are going to be huge for Oregon. Uh, not to mention, they got this huge win in front of a ton of really highly touted recruits. You guys always know how I like to talk about that. Uh, but this really shapes up well for Oregon, seeing that they're in first place in the Pac-12 now, moving to 6-1 uh, and one on the year, 4-0 uh, and in conference play. 
Um, so you just, you just love to see that for Oregon and for them to show up the way that they did out of the bye, I think is really encouraging because heading into the bye, a lot of people kind of made me rethink my take. I said that Oregon's bye came at just the right time or the perfect time, but some people were, you know, understandably saying, you know, this isn't the right time for uh, a, a bye week, right? A bye week doesn't interrupt a five game winning streak. Um, and you could say the same thing for UCLA because they were also on their bye, but Oregon didn't look flat. That's kind of the biggest thing that I'm getting at because for a lot of teams, you know, Dan Lanning said it earlier this week, a lot of teams I've been around, you're in the bye and they're not always, uh, they don't always get better, but Oregon got better. Um, and one thing that he said about, you know, what he learned uh, about his team, about the Ducks in, in the post-game press conference today, he said the buy-in, the buy-in was what he really saw. And Oregon didn't play a dominant game on both sides of the ball, but I think they did enough to clearly they did enough to, to get this win. The offense was stellar uh, really from the end of the first quarter. So from the second quarter on, it was really, really, really strong. And the defense came up with some big stops when they needed to. They showed up on third down, which was a major focus heading into this week. Uh, UCLA was one of the best third, team, third down teams in, in the nation. And they definitely needed to do it. Um, they, they definitely needed to get those stops on third down. So uh, Ducks take sole possession of first place. That is a huge deal for them in uh, in the Pac-12. But we have a, a couple of different things that we have to talk about, some big performances to get into. Uh, and then I definitely want to get to some comments and questions. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I didn't script out this show too much. I just wanted to hop on here, give my thoughts, get your guys' thoughts, uh, and, you know, just hop into it because it's an exciting time right now if you're an Oregon football fan, seeing that the Ducks just got that big win over UCLA. So the first guy, I think we it's it's always easy to start here, right? Let's talk about Bo Nix. Bo Nix had another stellar outing for the Ducks in their big win over the UCLA Bruins. Final stat line for Bo Nix, 22 for 28 with 283 passing yards and five touchdowns through the air. Uh, interesting note, interesting stat about that performance. Bo Nix is the third Oregon quarterback since at least 1996 to throw for five or more touchdown passes multiple times in a season, joining Justin Herbert in 2019 and Marcus Mariota in 2014. So Bo Nix is, is really the, the engine that makes this uh, offense hum, as we all know, if you've watched Oregon for, for any portion of, of the season. Uh, but he also had a little bit of a contribution on the ground with his legs, eight carries for 51 yards, uh, averaging 6.4 yards per carry. He had some big fourth down plays as well, uh, had some audibles, just really looked like he was in control of this game, uh, in the control of this offense. Dan Landing really lauded his play after the game, calling him an elite quarterback, saying, I don't think anybody can watch this Oregon team and say that we don't have an elite quarterback. Uh, he's really just playing with a lot of confidence, uh, really, really great playmaking, not putting the ball in jeopardy. That's another thing that we have to know about this game. No turnovers for Bo Nix, no turnovers for Oregon, um, but just continuing to elevate his level of play on a week-in and week-out basis. Um, Bo Nix is just, you can't talk enough about him. Uh, and I think that conversation gets more and more interesting with every great performance that he puts up. Is this another game that really helps potentially elevate Bo Nix's draft stock? Uh, Bo Nix just really, really carving up a defense that looked really solid. Um, you had Latou coming off the edge that made his day a little bit hard at times, but he was getting some help from the run game. There were a lot of guys that were contributing in the passing game, you know, hauling in passes. Uh, we're certainly going to talk about some of those guys here on this episode of the of the podcast. Um, but Bo Nix is, is just, uh, you know, it's, it's another game for his Heisman resume because that Heisman campaign really feels like it's getting stronger with, with each week, with each win that, that the Ducks, you know, continue stacking here. Um, and UCLA, they, they have one of the better defenses in the conference. I think that their secondary was kind of viewed as a little bit of a, a weak spot for this defense, but they had a really good linebacking core, strong front seven, and um, and Bo just did his thing. Um, he, he was 
carving them up. He was making good use of the pump fake. He he really knows when to take what the defense gives him, whether that's passing or running the ball, scrambling, sliding. Um, we're seeing some comments here. Uh, we have Emiliana saying, is Bo for Heisman a thing now? Uh, I think it definitely is. He, he's certainly, we're at that point in the season where enough football has been played and Bo Nix has shown us enough multiple times where it's not just isolated performances. It's not just a good week and then just a so-so week. Um, maybe he's not putting on you know, quite the passing clinic like he is in this game every week, uh, but that's okay. I think that just speaks to more of his ability. It speaks to his ability to uh, just know his role. Uh, there was a game, I, I want to say it was the Arizona game. He was 20 for 25 with something like 225, 240 yards passing, but no touchdowns through the air. That's because Oregon scored every one of their touchdowns in that game against Arizona on the ground because the rushing attack was just that dominant. So Bo Nix for Heisman, I think, is is uh, is certainly a, a thing. Um, Randy saying, yes, Bo Nix for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Gerard saying, Bo knows Heisman for those who remember that Nike ad campaign. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Brian, Brian with the question here, heard lots of pro scouts were there too, interested to see if Bo goes pro or comes back. Um, man, what what more perfect timing could you have asked for uh, for, for Bo Nix, you know, just showing what he can do on the biggest stage, college game days in town. Uh, I think it was like 59,000, I want to say, attendance for, for Autzen. So it was just an absolutely packed house uh, out in Autzen. Um, let me see if I can find the, uh, the official, uh, attendance. Um, cause it was just, you know, everybody was there. Um, and for the scouts to see him, I think he, he just continues to elevate his draft stock. And I don't think I'd be curious to see what you guys think, just what that one, you know, difference making skill is that, that Bo Nix has, cause he just does a little bit of everything. Well, I don't think that, I don't think that his deep ball is super impressive. He doesn't have crazy velocity or arm strength on his passes, uh, but he's been really, really accurate this year. Maybe that's the the trait that you can hang your hat on, the accuracy and, and the improvement that we've seen from his time at Auburn to his time at Oregon. I think some of that obviously has to be attributed to Kenny Dillingham, who called a heck of a game. Um, I mean, I, I was tweeting some tweets from my account. Uh, and from from Ducks Digest, just saying, you know, watching Kenny Dillingham call this game is like just art. He called a masterful game. Uh, we saw some two running back sets that had some really good, uh, really good gains. Uh, you had some, uh, you had the 14J formation as well with uh, the four tight ends, and then Josh Connerly Jr. being the extra lineman, and Jordan James coming in. So they just did a little bit of everything in this game, but but to just get it back to Knicks, I, I think this game just, in a good way, it further complicates what does Oregon's quarterback picture look like next year? Because another thing from this game is that no other quarterback got in the game for Oregon. I thought that there was a time when we were maybe going to see uh, Ty Thompson or, or Jay Butterfield, but this game was really only you know a 15-point game, so it was put away. But because of UCLA scoring and garbage time, I think that probably is what made the Oregon staff keep Bo Nix out there for, for as long as they did. But Dante Moore's in the fold. Uh, you, keep, um, you keep putting away these good teams, or just you got to blow teams out in, in general, and then you'll be, able to, you'll be able to get more of these young guys' reps. So uh, – Crazy game for Bo Nix, just doing a little bit of everything with his legs, uh, showing that poise of a, of a veteran quarterback. Um, and it was just really full. It was really fun to, to see Dan Lanning giving Bo Nix as much praise as he did in the, in the postgame press conference because he, he's earned it uh, for all the skepticism that he's had to deal with uh, since going to Auburn and then transferring to Oregon. Um, you know, it's, it's going about as well as you could. Uh, as you could expect for or really hope for for Bo Nix. So um, really liked how he was working the ball down the field. That that pass up the sideline to Bucky Irving was awesome. I believe that was on a fourth down play, that the pump fake on the screen and then finding Terrence Ferguson, that the tight ends got involved as well. It was just a little bit of everything from Bo Nix, who had a stellar performance against UCLA, 
would be utterly shocked if he's not named the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. But we know that that's not super important. It's just kind of a little bit of a bonus. Next guy we have to talk about, staying on the passing game, Troy Franklin. Troy Franklin was balling out of his mind against the UCLA Bruins. Final stat line for Troy Franklin, who continues to put on a show for Oregon this year. Eight receptions, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. That averages out to 16.5 yards per catch with a long of 49 yards. And that, of course, coming from Bo Nix on a beautiful deep ball where he just put it right in his bread basket, didn't have to move an inch. Um, that was definitely one of the best highlights of the day for the Ducks. Um, I, I was saying that Bo Nix's deep ball isn't amazing. I don't think it you know, separates him from other quarterbacks in college football necessarily, but for the way it's been looking a little bit lately, there were a couple that were a little shaky against Stanford, um, but he had that awesome strike to Chris Hudson in the Arizona game. That was probably one of my favorite plays from this game from Bo Nix to Troy Franklin, just dropping that right where it needed to be in the middle. Uh, and on a little bit of a rainy day, no less, um, we know it doesn't rain in Autzen, but the rain in all reality, the rain was kind of on and off throughout the day throughout the game and, and Troy Franklin and Bo Nix didn't let it impact their performance. And and I think for, for Troy Franklin, he just continues to show up week after week. There was some buzz about him as the first, uh, as the number one guy, you know, earlier on in the season, but he is clearly the guy that Oregon trusts the most that Bo Nix is the most comfortable with. And similar to previous situations where we've seen Oregon just kind of line it up and say, Hey, we're going to run it. And it's up to you to stop it. it. It almost felt like we saw a little bit of that with Troy Franklin just being fed the ball. I don't think he was being forced fed the ball, but it was kind of in a similar way saying, hey, we're going to keep attacking him with Troy until you can shut him down. Um, and I feel like a perfect example of that was the second touchdown reception that he had on the goal line where Bo Nix motions him over. I'm thinking, hey, maybe we'll see a little bit of tight end involvement here. The tight ends got really involved uh, today. Uh, that's another thing we can talk about, but uh, we got C Cody Peterson here with the with Troy's stat line, so we got, we can just keep that up there. Troy Franklin is just a, a stud, and he's still so young, which I think is really impressive. He he's the receiver that Oregon has needed for quite some time. I think he's probably the best Oregon wide receiver since Dylan Mitchell. Devin Williams was pretty solid last year, but I think it's time to have that discussion. I saw uh, some some other college football reporter, uh, analyst, somebody in the space, they tweeted, I think that Troy Franklin is the best wide receiver that Oregon has had in a decade. And I don't know that I'm in, I, I'm going to be disagreeing with that because Oregon's had a lot of good receivers, but not a lot of them have gone on to have a tremendous amount of success in, in the NFL. Uh, but Troy's different. And, and what makes him different, Dan Linney was talking about his catch radius, his route running. He's super technical. He's really reliable. And I think another thing that he probably deserves some more credit for than he's getting is how he handles the ball in traffic. Troy Franklin is, is not a really built out guy. I, I think he's only 176. Let me check the uh, let me check the roster to see what he's listed at. 6'3, 178. So for him to be able to handle the ball the way he has in traffic, to, to hold onto the ball through contact, um, make plays after the after the catch, he's definitely – we kind of knew he was a yak receiver, right, yards after catch receiver, but we didn't get to see that last year because so many of his targets were on short passes, screen passes, uh, intermediate passes, slants over the middle, but the run game is dominant, the play-action game is dominant, and they've really allowed – that's really allowed the, these receivers to get, you know, opportunities to, to make an impact beyond, you know, 10 or 15 yards. And that's clearly the case with, uh, with Troy, right? Um, right now, uh, before adding the totals into this game, so he's at 27 catches for 429 yards and three touchdowns. Um, this is his second most catches on the year in a game. Uh, with his most coming against Eastern Washington. So if we just do the math here. Troy Franklin is up to 35 catches for, give me a second. Do some, some quick math here. 
So 35 catches for 561 yards, and we are just about at the halfway mark this season. So we'll see if um, we'll see if Troy Franklin can hit the 1,000 yard mark. Uh, I believe that's a mark that hasn't been hit since Dylan Mitchell was at Oregon. Um, and the thing with him is that Oregon's offense was pretty one dimensional through the air when it wasn't like, you know, Herbert would, or someone would stare down Dylan Mitchell and everyone knew the ball was going there, but Oregon's wide receivers are, are versatile enough and balanced enough that they have other guys that they can lean on. They have chase Coda who, who finished with a solid game. Chase Coda finished with four catches for 34 yards. Um, they have the tight ends who are getting more involved. Chase, uh, Chris Hudson had three catches. Uh, Bucky Irving had three catches out of the backfield. So there's other options on this team besides Troy Franklin, but is Troy Franklin the best receiving option on this team? Absolutely. Um, And and that's a good thing for Oregon without a doubt. Um, So I think while I'd like to see some other receivers get more involved, like, you know, like Dante Thornton, Seven McGee, we we haven't seen too much of them. Um, Oregon's offense is operating at such a high level that they don't necessarily – need those guys to to contribute um and like i said i, I want to see both of those guys play i really do i think they're special talents that can really help the offense but they found a good balance right now in terms of the rotation which guys they can lean on which guys they're giving targets to um to, to the, the point where they don't necessarily need all of the guys on their roster to to hop in and uh you know give them playing time uh and then micah time here commenting he's probably our best receiver since josh huff yeah, Josh Huff it was a special talent at Oregon. Um, had some time with the Eagles in the NFL, um, so certainly a, a reassuring sign for for Oregon to, to continue to see Troy Franklin play as as well as he is. Um, I think there might have been one more stat about uh, about Troy. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Troy Franklin has surpassed 100 yards receiving for the second time this season and the second time in his career. He's the only duck with a hundred plus receiving yards in a game so far this season. Um, so yeah, he, he's just, he's been that guy. We, we kind of know that he's that guy. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, this kind of goes to one of my earlier points from uh, Kapalua seven saying landing has finally learned to use his star players more often. Um, and, and that's what you want to see a coach do when you, when you find something that's working, keep doing it until the team can, show you that they can stop it. That's something that we saw with Chip Kelly today uh, with, with UCLA. Uh, they were running the ball down Oregon's throat for a while until Oregon showed that they could stop them. And I'm not sure that they really did completely, but they came up with enough stops to kind of throw them off their, their game a little bit, throw them off their rhythm, make them do something else. So if you find those guys that work, keep using them until they take them away. And then you have some of these other pieces like your tight ends, like Terrence Ferguson, like Cam McCormick, who both had touchdowns today that can really help keep defenses honest. And you have a dominant running game. You have a quarterback that can keep defenses honest with his legs. So there, there's a lot of things that, that factor in there, but cannot say enough about Troy Franklin uh, and, and just the game that he was able to play uh, today for Oregon. And uh, I'm always down to talk some more Troy Franklin, but we're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of comments here. So let me see if I can switch it up here don't think we have anything new in the inbox as far as you know more notes on this win um so why don't we take some comments here let's just switch it up a little bit and then see what y'all are saying um hohu say great win lots of football to be played one game at a time go ducks yeah, one game at a time is definitely the mentality of this Oregon team right now, and and they're they're playing the games in front of them, and I don't expect them to overlook this Cal game next week, but um, I think you're in a really good position. Obviously, like I talked about earlier in the show, being in sole possession of first place and then the Pac-12, you obviously feel good about that. Um, and then the way that the rest of your schedule shakes out is is pretty good i mean we can maybe talk about that a little bit later down the line but oregon now has to hit the road travel to berkeley uh for uh, a game against the california golden bears that's kickoff set for 12 30 pacific um october 29th next saturday uh plan is to be at that game so very excited to be at another oregon game uh this upcoming week knock on wood uh after covering a bunch of high school games um you know since i moved out to long beach so 
one game at a time. And this was certainly a huge, uh, huge win. Gerard says UCLA actually played a good game. They scored on six of seven possessions. No, that's, I'm not trying to take it away, anything away from UCLA. I think Oregon realized that UCLA was playing a really good game. And then what they do in the third quarter, they had a, a 12 play. I think it was 85 yard drive that took seven and a half minutes off the clock. That was that you could say was one of the turning points in this game. Uh, you know, Oregon went into the half up pretty big, right? 31 to 13, but only 10 total points between both teams in the third quarter. So I think that game, Dan Lanning was talking about, or sorry, that quarter, Dan Lanning was talking about how the best defense that they could play at times was by keeping the UCLA offense off the field. And that kind of goes to what I was saying about just grinding the clock, seeing what was, what was happening, um, you know, how the game was being dictated Oregon had a really tough time slowing down Zach Charbonnet, who they fed the ball quite a lot. Uh, 20 carries for 154 yards and one touchdown. It was a stark contrast to what we saw Charbonnet do last year. Last year, the Ducks really bottled up Charbonnet. I think he only had like 35 rushing yards uh, against them, but they had Britton Brown last year to lean on. So this year, it was really just Dorian Thompson-Robinson and, and Zach Charbonnet. And, and DTR only had eight carries for 38 yards. And Keegan Jones had one carry for negative two yards. So it was really just those two in the backfield. Um, and obviously not nearly as deep as Oregon's running back room. Uh, I think that you know USC is good. Utah is good. But I'd put Oregon's running back room up against anybody in the Pac-12 right now um it's 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 definitely you know there so um that that to me I feel like even though Oregon was up really big actually maybe we can talk about that a little bit the the final drive of the first half I thought was was really really important for Oregon um let me see if I can pull it up here um no that's not the one I'm looking for okay Oregon drive chart because Oregon got the ball back before half, and I thought that was really, really important. Um, okay, hold on. Why is it not under the drives tab? You guys would be surprised how some of these drives work when you're trying to – some of these advanced stats, when you're trying to look at it, it is just all over the place. So let's just go into the second quarter and then go to the half. Um all right, let's see. End of the first half. Okay, yeah, but yeah, because that was the play when they motioned uh, Troy Franklin over. Uh, that was really big. The defense stepped up and made a really big stop. Uh, we haven't talked about the defense too much so far, um, so we obviously have to talk about them. The defense, I don't think they were outstanding this game. They didn't get any sacks on DTR, given that he, you know, is a uh, a hard, you know, guy to. Um, sack, but they were able to get some hits on him, make him uncomfortable, make him move around in the pocket. So I think while UCLA played a really good game, Oregon took advantage with that drive right before the half. They forced UCLA to settle for a field goal, um, which was huge. Noah Sewell came on that pressure and, uh, and uh, he had a couple instances where he had some really good pressures that obviously uh, helped force the interception that Brian Addison got. But that was a really big turning point for me because Oregon got the ball back with about three minutes left in the first half. And then they go down the field uh, and, and they come away with a touchdown with when Bo Nix had that short pass to Troy Franklin, two yards to the right. Um, and he had a combination of some passes up the middle, keeping the ball, um, you know, scrambling for a couple yards. Chase Coda came up with some really big plays. Uh, I think he's the number two wide receiver on the team right now. So someone that Bonex is clearly really comfortable with. I uh, was kind of surprised we didn't see a whole lot from Chris Hudson. I guess he kind of got contained a little bit today. Uh, but Bone, Bucky Irving was the number two wide out in terms of the stats, three catches for 57 yards and a touchdown. Um, but that I keep getting away from my point. I'm getting a little too fired up. But um, that drive right before the – right before halftime was so big because you've got to take advantage of getting the uh, getting that time back, uh, getting the stop and still having three minutes on the clock. And you also have to think about how UCLA, they got the, uh, the opening kickoff in the second half. So Oregon, I think that put a little bit more pressure on them to make 
use of that time they had to close out the first half and, and put some more points up on the board. Keep padding that lead. Don't don't give UCLA any hope. Don't give them a chance uh, to come back um, or see any kind of optimism there. So UCLA definitely played a good game. And uh, there was another thing that I think people were saying on uh, on Twitter was that um, – you know, Dan Lanning out-chipped Chip Kelly, and I thought that he just coached a really, really good game, uh, especially in that third quarter when he chose to be like, hey, you know, we're in control of this game. Uh, we want to be the more physical team. We want to run the ball at you. Um, and he just chose to slow it down and just grinded the game to a halt. And they were able to do that because of the lead that they had built up in the first half, right? So maybe that goes back to my last point about how important that last scoring drive was heading into the half. Um so that was really impressive. And just to see Oregon take control of the game was maybe another example of how we're seeing this Oregon team winning in a bunch of different ways. Um, and, and I think it, it's another way that we're seeing the evolution of, of Dan Lanning as a coach. And then obviously that trickles down with the rest of the coaching staff. Another great game from Kenny Dillingham uh, calling plays and, and from the team overall. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast. For those of you listening to us on the audio platform, don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon, UCLA instant reactions and analysis after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are breaking down Oregon's win over UCLA. This is our post-game show, so we're just hopping in here, giving some of my thoughts, giving some of your guys' thoughts, and seeing where things are at. Uh, so let me continue to throw those comments in, and I will try to get to as many as I can, and we'll just see what's going on. So let's see. Randy asks, do you feel, though, after this win, the Ducks will start to get more respect? Yeah, I think they absolutely will. and this kind of lines up with the timing of college game day, right? If you follow this team for a while, you know that they were one that was worthy of national attention. I think they kind of hurt themselves last year down the line when they got dominated by Utah, right? Does playing the same team twice in two weeks and getting absolutely blown out help your national respect? No, I don't think it does. Obviously it doesn't. We didn't see any, any improvements there, any adjustments. They were carbon copies, mirror images of each other. But then they tried to go out and end the season with a little bit of positive momentum uh, by opening up the offense in that Alamo Bowl against Oklahoma. But now 
it's good timing for game day to be here because all eyes were on Eugene. Eugene was essentially center stage of college football in week eight today. So you also played an early game. So think about that. There's more games that just kicked off, you know, 13 minutes ago. It's 513 here on the West Coast. Um, so Oregon, by playing early, they were able to get more eyes on them. There's not going to be a whole lot of people who didn't get to see this game. So for them to, to it was two, it was a top 10 game, right? Top 10 showdown between UCLA and Oregon. People flip that game on and they say, oh, wow, two teams ranked from the Pac-12 that's awesome. I want to watch this. And, you know, Oregon was just doing really well. They're going to draw eyes wherever they play. And I would say whenever they play, but, you know, Oregon's kind of gotten uh, some difficult kickoff times the past two weeks leading up to this one. So it was good that I was happy that Oregon was able to have an early game. Um, So Oregon, by having this win, when they do, they capitalize on the stock of the PAC 12 Um, amidst all this conference realignment and UCLA leaving and USC leaving they were able to show that they're still in contention for the top dog in the Pac-12. And maybe that's another point too. UCLA, I think the same thing could be said here about USC and UCLA. Depending on how the, the conference shakes out, any loss that UCLA or USC has to anybody that isn't Utah and Oregon it's it's not a good look because you're going to be losing to these, you know, lower tier teams because the Pac-12 is pretty top-heavy this year, right? So any loss that isn't to one of these more powerful teams in the Pac-12 is just a bad look. You can't even beat the lower-level teams in the Pac-12, not saying Oregon is, but you can't. If, if USC and UCLA can't win the Pac-12, what makes them think that they can be competitive in the Big Ten? I think I really did a poor job of wording my point there, um, but I think it's a good look for Oregon even more so because UCLA is one of the two schools that thinks they're mighty enough to go to the Big Ten, even though we know it's all being driven by money. So case in point, I think that Oregon's absolutely going to start to get more respect. Uh, Bo Nix's Heisman campaign chances, we've been talking about that. We could say that's a big winner. Uh, Troy Franklin. Troy Franklin, I mean, there, there were so many talented guys. You had uh, Tretch or Trek uh, Kekahuna from uh, Bishop Gorman, the Wisconsin wide receiver commit. He recently got offered by Oregon. He was on campus in attendance for this game. Marcus Harris, a 2025 wide receiver at at modern day. He was in attendance for this game. So this is a game that the Oregon staff, I can almost guarantee you, they're going to be on their phones next week texting recruits or talking to recruits like, hey, you you watched that game last weekend? You see see Bo Nix and Troy Franklin light up what a lot of people thought was the best team in the Pac-12. So I think that it's going to help their recruiting chances as well, their recruiting efforts as well. Uh, so case in point, this is I think it's going to help Oregon get more respect. Um, and it's showing people, hey, if you counted this team out, I have a pen now, if you counted this team out after week one, shame on you. What are you doing? Oregon has completely turned the page since week one and uh, they've shown that they can, you know, stay disciplined and carry that momentum with them even through the bye week So great question. All right, let's see here. What else do we got? Mark says the Dan hire is paying off. Yeah, I think that's a, I mean, much like we've said with, with the Bo Nix coming over to Oregon out of the transfer portal, the, the Dan landing era could not be off to a better start. I think, the only way you could argue that is if they were to beat Georgia, but that's just kind of unrealistic. I, I was never in the boat of thinking that they could win uh, against uh, against Georgia, but now Dan Lanning's, you know, he, he's in that he's in a, a really solid light with uh, other other coaches in, in the conference, right? Stanford's having a down year. Cal's not playing well. Colorado's looking for a new head coach. Lincoln Riley just got here, as did Dan Lanning, and. The, the fact that Lanning is a defensive head coach and the offense is the story for Oregon once again, I think is really interesting uh, because a lot of people uh, think, and I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong way to think about it, but it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a culture change, right? Because Oregon has been known as an offensive team and now they have a lot of these heavy hitters you have on defense. You have the, the Dan Lannings, the Tosh Lapoys, the, the Noah Sewells. Uh, and can we talk about Christian Gonzalez? Christian Gonzalez is that guy he had a really, really strong game 
Uh, it it kind of cracks me up just because I remember talking to him when I was still in Eugene and he's a really soft-spoken guy, but that guy's play is, that guy's play speaks volumes as cliche as it is. But really, if you think about it, the the only guy that was able to do anything outside of the two in the backfield, DTR and Charbonnet, was Jake Bobo. And you got to give him some credit and, and just kind of tip your cap on a couple of those plays. How did Jake Bobo end up at Duke before coming to UCLA? I, I mean, 6'5", 215. Maybe it's because he's from Massachusetts, I believe I saw, doing some research, and they just don't have a lot of exposure or, like, big-time football out there. But I'm getting a little sidetracked. But, yeah, Mark, to your point, that the Dan Laney hire is absolutely uh, is absolutely possible. Uh, no, not possible. Sorry, I'm looking ahead. The Dan Laney hire is absolutely paying off for Oregon, and uh, I think that it's going to continue to pay off um, down the road because – it's good for Oregon to get this win too, because they still have some really tough games against Washington and uh, against Utah. Uh, fun, fun side note. I booked my tickets to fly to Eugene for the Washington game. Uh, so I will be in Eugene for Oregon against Washington. Uh, would love to meet some of you guys uh, and uh, just, you know, continue building the ducks dish community ducks digest community. Uh, let's see. Johnny rocket says, Pac-12 championship appearance for Lanning's first year looks very likely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's likely. I think it's likely, especially with the new format. But like I just said in, in the last um, the last question, the last comment, it's it's not going to be easy. It's absolutely not going to be easy. Oregon's going to have their work cut out for them. They got to continue winning some uh, some big games. Um, so I, I think the the thing with the Pac-12 title game, not only is the format different, but like I've said a couple times, I think the Pac-12 title, at least appearing in that game, if not winning it outright, is absolutely the expectation for Oregon fans, right? I think with the, with the way the program has been building, the way that they've separated themselves from other schools in the Pac-12, I think that anything short of a Pac-12 title game would kind of be a disappointment, right? especially at this point, right? You've shown that you can have big wins on uh, on the big stage. You've shown that you can come back and win games on the Palouse so that went over Washington State. You had that big win over BYU. You have this win. This is the, your biggest win of the year so far over UCLA to assert yourself in the Pac-12. So it's it's uh, it's it's absolutely something um, that Oregon is, is in the driver's seat and still in full control of their destiny. But you you can't slip up in any of these other games now uh, because you know, you just, if you, if you slip up, then you kind of lose control of your own destiny and someone else could be, you know, in, in your spot. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? Appreciate the comments. Um, let's see. Oh, so people were saying, uh, how about the unis? Uh, I loved them. Let me see. I, I got some pictures here from, uh, from our guy, Scott. So let me try to pull some of these up and share my screen. Give me just a second. All right. So here are some of the pregame pictures uh, that, you know, people just ate them up on, uh, on, on social media. Um, You had the pink, you had the, you had the, you know, it kind of looked like highlighter yellow, almost highlighter yellow or really bright green. My favorite part of the unis is probably this, uh, other than just the the pink in general, I just love the pink stuff that Oregon does. The the gradient on these wings, I thought was super cool uh, going from, you know, from black to pink. Um, just a really nice touch. I think I have some other, some other ones as well that I can get to just going through some of my photos from the game. Here's some more of, uh, of Troy Franklin celebrating with uh, some of these, some of the ducks uh, you saw Jackson Powers Johnson in there quite a bit. Um, Noah Whittington had a really good game as well. Uh, here's Troy celebrating with Bo Nix and, and Alex Forsyth. Um, here's his his touch, one of his two touchdown grabs. Uh, just perfect ball placement there, as you can see. Oh, and can we talk about, uh, just because we're talking about Troy Franklin, can we talk about that catch he had on Jalen Davies uh, in this game? Cause that, that might've been one of my favorite plays of the game. Cause Jalen Davies was called for a pass interference on that play. And Troy Franklin just still just grown man over the top of him, just absolutely just sunned him 
And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, there was, there was some chatter between both teams throughout the game. Um, but Troy Franklin's that guy. We've established that. And uh, we're just – the fact that Oregon was able to win in these unis, I feel like there's a little bit more pressure on Oregon when they roll out these big unis, these new uniforms, because uh, you obviously don't want to lose when you're rolling out new uniforms. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just more more photos from this game about, you know, just yeah, Cam McCormick here who had a touchdown. Um so just great to see that uh, Patrick Herbert also got more involved in this one. Um, so it was, it was just fun to see overall. So got to give a shout out to the uniforms for sure. Oregon using that Nike uh, connection without a doubt. Um, let's see what other questions we got. Ryan Robertson said, this is the year. Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. He's focused. He's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a dark horse for the Heisman. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we, we were talking about it earlier on in the show. I don't know when you got here, Ryan, but uh, I'm not going to go as far as saying that Bo Nix is the front runner for the Heisman trophy, but uh, he's certainly in the conversation and he, he deserves a spot in, in the conversation. I think how he plays over the rest of this season is going to have an obvious impact on where he ends up because Washington always has a good defense. Utah always has a good defense. And then now for Oregon, sure, you have some some games that are against some lesser opponents coming up, hitting the road to California and then Colorado as well. But you need to ball out in those games because you can't afford to have down games against those two uh, inferior opponents. Got to charge my laptop here. Um, but yeah, when, when you say this is the year, I don't know. Uh, what do you mean by this is the year? That's the interesting question. You know, New Year's six, are we talking playoffs? I think I would I would think that Oregon's offense is good enough to get them into the playoffs, but I don't know if their defense is at that level yet. Maybe we can have that conversation. Um, you know, I don't think how close is Oregon to the playoffs? Because we have the expansion coming and that's gonna be really tough, I think, just with the format and how more SEC teams are gonna get in, obviously, as we know. Um, so similar to UCLA and USC leaving, I think that it's easier to get into the playoff now and win the Pac-12 now until these new, before these new changes come into effect. But I think the, the Bo Nix success story under Kenny Dillingham just continues to, uh, get new chapters every week, new, new, uh, new highlights every week. Um, and, uh, I think we also have to give him some praise for how he played in the rain. I don't think he played in a lot of rainy games while he was at Auburn, um, but he looks comfortable in the rain in Eugene, even though, um, you know, it doesn't rain and it doesn't rain in Autzen stadium. Let's see. What else do we have here? Um, all right. Uh, here's a question that's interesting from Jason angle. Jason asks, how much has the Oregon defense improved as the season has gone on? Yeah, let's um let's talk about it. Oregon's defense. I think Oregon's defense has improved in a couple ways. I think maybe they haven't improved a whole ton as a unit per se over the season. Um, but there's there's guys. Okay, maybe hold on. Let me let me back back that up because the defense has obviously gotten better uh, throughout the year. But I think even though they looked better on third down, they still finished with a 50% conversion rate. UCLA did. UCLA converted six of 12 third downs and two of three fourth, down, fourth downs. We saw a lot of fourth downs in this game from uh, from both teams. So I think that their third down has improved uh, a, a little bit so far. Uh, the pass rush has gotten better, even though it hasn't always uh, resulted in sacks. I think that you're seeing improved play from Jaleel Florence and Dante Manning. And you're going to need that, especially if Christian Gonzalez decides to try his hand at the NFL draft next year. You're going to need younger guys to step up. I think that Oregon might be in the position where they need to go to the transfer portal again to try to get some more established depth and uh, you know some proven uh, some proven production at cornerback like they did with Christian Gonzalez. But I think that that's one of the key areas I would say we're seeing Oregon improve this year on defense is is in the secondary. Another guy we have to talk about in the secondary is Brian Addison. 
Uh, he had a tremendous stop on third down uh, where he really had to cover a lot of ground, like 15 or so yards. Uh, and then he knocked down a Charbonnet, I think, on third down, but they ended up going for it on fourth down the next play. So it kind of got swept under the rug, but he got his first interception uh, on that play from on the uh, when Noah Sewell had the pressure on Dorian Thompson Robinson. So I think we're seeing some some individualized um, individual improvement from a variety of players in the secondary and on this defense. Now the next step becomes just being a more cohesive unit and, and being a group that, uh, you know, can work with, like we need the the secondary and the front seven to, to work more in tandem. I think that, um, I think that uh, Noah Sewell continue, continues to play really good ball. I like the, the pressure that we saw from him. Um, Zach Charbonnet is, is, the best back they're going to go against, I think in the pack 12, you know, it's only going to get easier or the same uh, as far as, you know, facing uh, Utah later in the year and potentially USC. Uh, I think talking about a USC matchup is, is something we could t- kind of dig our teeth into a little bit more now. Um, but there were some guys that were just getting trampled uh, in that game. You know, Oregon is, is usually pretty solid uh, defending the run, but they gave up 189 rushing yards today, but on the other side, they ran for 261 yards. So uh, they were able to kind of do their thing there. Um, and uh, they, they won the turnover battle, which helps. And they, they won the time of possession. So there are a lot of uh, categories that, that Oregon won today. I'm kind of curious. Uh, I thought Triquez Bridges uh, stepped up as well. We're still talking about the secondary. He had some good stops, uh, a couple of good plays throughout the game. So we're seeing a lot of rotation in the secondary, but I think it's helping them. Uh, helping them uh, with with uh, just the development overall. So um, there there were a couple of instances where, where Brandon Dorless could have gotten a sack, and, and that was tough. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, it's a little hard to evaluate the unit because there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball, but I feel like they're still not quite where they need to be and certainly not where they can be. So, I, maybe maybe it's like they're one recruiting class away from from being a, a you know a dominant defense again because I think if, if you're on the defensive staff at Oregon you want to get back to that 2019 defense under Andy Avalos when when you had Kayvon Thibodeau when you had Troy Dye when you had Mikel Wright as a true freshman when he was playing his best uh, his best football but then there were there were times today where there were a lot of missed tackles and some fundamental lapses that you just can't really have um, so. That's why Oregon's going after a lot of big time guys in the 23 class. Uh, they, they brought in Peyton Bowen, uh, the 2023 Notre Dame safety commit. He's on campus for a visit right now uh, and you get this huge win. So maybe that's enough to kind of get you back into the mix in that recruitment. They have Cole Martin, Demetrius Martin's son coming in. Uh, I just talked to St. John Bosco safety, Aaron Williams or corner Aaron Williams. He was committed to Louisville right now he's looking at an Oregon official in, in November. And you're also looking at Roderick Pleasant, one of the fastest defensive backs, probably the fastest defensive back in the entire country. So there's still some more pieces that they could add in this 23 class that could help them bolster their secondary, help them bolster their defense. You got Jaden Moore coming in as an edge rusher. Uh, I've talked to people at Oregon who believe that Blake Purchase could be an instant impact kind of guy. He's that good coming out of Colorado. So there, there's pieces that they're working with and there's still more guys they could go after in the portal that could help boost them a little bit more. So I think that uh, the, the defense clearly still needs some work. And I don't want to be saying that every week and sound like a broken record and be criticizing them in, uh, all the time. Um, but yeah, so I, I think this is a good uh, a good comment here. They still need to mature. The Oregon's defense isn't bad, but it did get tested by a very good UCLA offense. So Maybe that's a good way to put it. I don't think this performance against UCLA was necessarily bad Oregon defense. I'm not saying that the defense played poorly. Um, UCLA's offense is is really, really good. Jake Bobo, eight catches for 101 yards. Uh, granted, some of that came in in garbage time. But um, Oregon's defense is uh, it has potential for sure. Um, I think Mace had some good plays, getting some pressure. He's This is his final season. Uh, Trevin Mae got some some good burn as well. Um, so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff going on so far, you know, with this uh, with this uh, Oregon defense. What other what other questions that we really have? Uh, Dennis Dennis Mackey, he's a regular. He says, "I heard a lot of recruits were on hand for this win. Commits may follow soon. 
uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, there were a lot of really good recruits. I think you had more than 10 guys from modern day. Uh, if you guys listen to my, um, my most recent podcast before this one, um, it's just like a little 12 minute radio hit that I did with Fox sports, Eugene. I talked about a lot of those guys that are coming in to, to visit this weekend. Um, so I, I'd be pretty surprised if Oregon didn't net at least one commit, uh, from this weekend, just given the quality and caliber of recruits that they, uh, they were hosting and continue, they still are hosting. Um, so maybe we'll have to keep an eye out later today or tomorrow. Um, but I think that Oregon's definitely building some really solid momentum, I talked about how we never really saw the avalanche or snowball effect of commitments after Dante Moore committed. That was all the way back in July. And now we're almost, it's almost Halloween. So it's, it's been quite a bit uh, since they got that commitment. Right. So some people are wondering, you know, what, where, where is that? I know that they're still pursuing some, some wide receivers in the 23 class. I know they're going after John Tay cook. That's going to be a really hard guy to flip from Texas. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other guys um, that they're going after in 23 that I can think of off the top of my head. I know Cameron Cook is a running back they're going after. I've talked about him before. He's committed to TCU. He's a running back uh, out of Texas. <clears throat> so, yeah, to answer your question, Denny, Dennis, uh, lots of recruits on campus, and I would not be surprised at all if there were some uh, commits coming in the near future for Oregon. Man, we have a squad here uh, in in this uh, in this live show. Really, really appreciate you guys tuning in wherever you're tuned in. Make sure to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Um, gonna keep looking through the comments and um, probably about maybe ten or so minutes. Uh, we will we will have to see what uh, what's going on. Just trying to get you guys uh, more more involved here. Gerard asks, anyone else notice the adjustment for shout players on the sideline were able slash allowed to join, but the coaches and about 20 players went onto the field to focus on the first play of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think that um, that that's another interesting you know thing with with uh, how Lanning and this new coaching staff have, have gone about managing this team, um, because as great of a tradition as shout is, it kind of can get you distracted from the task at hand and this was not the game that Oregon wanted to be distracted in. We saw every time UCLA had the ball that they were capable of, of capitalizing and just running the ball at will and capable of explosive plays. So I think that I did notice that too. Um, it's kind of interesting that some players did it and some didn't. I'm assuming that's, you know, more of the starters that probably aren't doing it. Um, but let, let me know how you guys feel about how shout has been managed this year, because I wonder if it can be looped in with the uniform talk. I think when, um, I don't remember if it was when Mario was taking over or when Willie Taggart was still at Oregon, he was asked about the uniforms, I, I think. And this is when Oregon had gone from wearing new uniforms every week to kind of more or less the same uniforms on a week by week basis. And I think whoever the coach was, whether it was Taggart or whether it was Mario one of the, I think it was Taggart. I want to say it was Taggart said, we don't, we're not playing like we deserve new uniforms every week. We're not playing like a team that deserves to get, you know, these new Nike uniforms every week. Um, so I, I think that I would kind of lump that in a little bit, you know, managing shout with just, you know, still got to be focused on your goal. Um, and you, you can't kind of get sidetracked, especially in a game like this, but it is an awesome tradition. I know the players love it. The fans love it. At least the fans can still enjoy it. Um, but just something to, you know, kind of talk about. All right. Let's see. What else do we have? All right. Do, do, do. Uh, Billy Bob asks, Max, who other than San Diego State gets an invite to the Pac-12? Boise State? Yeah, I don't... I don't know. The whole, the whole PAC 12 deal is it's interesting to think about now because it was so at top of mind and then it kind of, uh, it kind of, you know, fizzled out for a bit. And then now it looks like the big 10 is kind of standing pat with where they're at waiting to see where Notre Dame's at now. Notre Dame's having a terrible season. Um, so I don't know how that kind of factors into things, but I think Boise state would probably be one that you usually call, uh, 
maybe Fresno State. It's Fresno State. I had hope for them, and I feel like you can have hope for them. But I think Jake Kaner got hurt, and and it's tough to to you know he was just that guy that you felt like anytime he was in Fresno State would have a chance in in any game that they play. Um, so I'm trying to think of other just other West Coast teams that you could potentially add in here. Um, BYU is already going to the Big Twelve, so you can't do anything you know with with them. They're kind of an untouchable. Uh, Houston's going to the Big 12 as well. Cincinnati's going to the Big 12, I believe. Um, so it's it's a tough thing to to try to you know kind of figure out. So um, I don't know. I, I gotta kind of take another look at what other teams are realistic because I think a lot of teams that get looped into this conversation, lumped into the conversation, really aren't even that much of an option. Um, in terms of the future of the Pac-12. So I'm more focused on where Oregon's headed, what's going to happen with some of the bigger names still left in the Pac-12. Not that I want the Pac-12 to disband or anything, but I just feel like that's the reality given the direction that the sport's headed, how money is driving everything. Uh, Fortunately for Oregon, they're in a good spot where, where they're able to be one of the premier brands in the country, certainly out West. You have the Nike connection. You get eyeballs on your games. I can't wait to see the numbers for this game. Like I was saying earlier, it was a midday game. Everybody should have been able to watch it. All eyes should have been on um, on Eugene. Game day was there. Uh, Josh Pate was there from the Late Kick podcast. Uh, thought it was huge to get him out west. Um, I, I always like tuning into that show. And, and obviously a lot of games that they go to are obviously in the, the SEC, ACC, Big Ten because that's where a lot of the best football is being played. Maybe not the ACC, but Big Ten and uh, and um, the SEC for sure. All right, what else do we have here? Make sure you guys throw in your questions and comments. Um, Randy says, I think our offense is good enough, but – our defense needs a good pass rusher. Our linebackers need to be deeper and our secondary needs some serious help. Yeah. I think for the, the pass rusher is obviously the thing that they need the most help with right now. Um, I, I still feel pretty good about the linebackers. Uh, we, we didn't see a super heavy rotation today. It's kind of, you know, Sewell and then Bossa and, or Justin flow. Um, and then you have Trevor Maya who got some more snaps. Uh, you obviously have Mace Fuda in there. I feel like we really haven't seen that much of Braden Swinson this year. I think that's been one of the more interesting storylines to follow um, because in years past, he's been, he's been looked at as the, you know, one of those next pass rush candidates for Oregon, but we just haven't seen much of him so far this year. Um, so that's, I'm just a little surprised that we haven't seen more of him. Um, but yeah, with, like I said, with the, the secondary definitely needs help. Um, you feel good about safety uh, probably going to be the last year you have Bennett Williams. So you need to get some more, uh, some more help at safety. Uh, you got Jamal Hill, who's still there. Steve Stevens has been there for a while. So I'm not sure if he'll be back next year, uh, but you do have some other guys that you've added from the recruiting ranks. Um, you have uh, Trey John Williams, who was a local guy out of Portland. Um, you have Kamari Terrell, who I think was a safety coming out of high school, but he's gotten some run at cornerback. You have Damon David as another safety JJ Greenfield as well. So there's some pieces there to work with, but I think it makes sense when you think about the current picture at secondary, why they're still attacking uh, the position really hard uh, on the recruiting trail. Cody Patterson says, how do you feel about the Utah matchup next month? Uh, I feel a lot better about it now that Oregon was able to beat the only team in the Pac-12 that has beaten Utah. Uh, I think that says something. Uh, I feel good about it because Oregon has a 23-game win streak at home, uh, tying the longest home win streak in program program excuse me program history. Um, Oregon plays their best ball at home. Uh, I think they have more time between now and that game to to really get even more in sync. I think that I'm going to grab my pen again because I like talking with it. Um, I think that these next two weeks. I think all eyes should be on Oregon's defense because they are playing two horrible offenses. Uh, I'm going to be very curious to see how they're able to match up with Jaden Ott because he has been on a mission in Berkeley. Jaden Ott, the former Bishop Gorman running back, Jaden Ott, the former Oregon running back commit. Uh, he was named Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, I think, a couple weeks ago. Um, 
And he's going to be, he's a dude. Jaden Knott's going to be a, a matchup for Oregon's defense this next week. But I couldn't even begin to tell you um, what kind of weapons Colorado has. They're just an absolute dumpster fire. Um, so I think that's the, I'm not worried about the Oregon offense. I don't really think anybody is right now, but you have two, two games you should win these next two weeks against Cal and Colorado. So you want to see that defense take a step forward and step up, um, and dominate, absolutely dominate. I think that you want to see them force turnovers. You want to see them get after the quarterback, uh, two things that they should be able to do against these subpar opponents. Um, but yeah, I feel good about it, especially because of where the offense is at, but I want to see that defense, uh, improve. We need to see the defensive improvement over these next two weeks before, um, Washington comes to town and then Utah the very next week. So difficult schedule without a doubt for Oregon, but that'll do it guys. We have hit the hour mark here on the post game show for the ducks dish podcast. Uh, really enjoyed answering these questions from you guys. Uh, like I said, a reminder to hit the live, the notification bell so that you can, not miss out on future live shows. Uh, if you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorresports. You can find my written content over on ducksdigest.com, ramping up recruiting content, talking with a lot of the top players in the country. I have a recent interview with Lipe Moala, 2023 offensive lineman out of modern day, Oregon's newest commit in the 23 class. That is a free read. And then uh, I'm also gathering scoop and intel on visitors who's coming to Oregon, where Oregon's at with some of these top targets in 2023 and beyond. So highly, highly recommend that you guys check that out um, and uh, just continue supporting. Really, really appreciate the support. Smash the like button, smash the subscribe button. If you are not already subscribed to my channel, you can find me on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. And then the biggest way you can show your support is by sharing the Ducks Dish podcast with friends, family, and other Duck fans. I'm going to do it. That, that'll do it for me here on the uh, Ducks Dish podcast. I'll catch you guys later. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Duck's Dish Podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.